0: Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. A couple things you got to listen to. Y'all ready for this? These are Tom jokes. All right, you ready? I used to own that gold mine, Tom exclaimed. Told you you got to listen. Exclaimed, gold mine, used to own, all right, come on. All right, now, now that you're thinking, measure twice before you cut, Tom remarked. Blow on the fire so it doesn't go out, Tom bellowed. Thanks for shredding the cheese, Tom said, gratefully. (laughs) All right, couldn't resist. I read all of those, and and I know it's different than normal, but I love those. They made me happy in my heart. All right. Have you ever felt uh, you've gone too far? Have you ever felt you've gone too far? ever you ever asked that question, have I gone too far for God to love and forgive me? Anybody in the room ever asked that question? If you've ever asked that question, this sermon is for you. Anybody ever not asked that question? You've never asked that question? I've never gone too far. I'm, no, I'm not a bad person. This sermon is really for you too. Because this sermon is about those who feel lost and those who don't feel lost. Uh, Luke chapter 15 is a sermon about the lost. And whether you feel it or whether you don't feel it, you're still lost because one day we were driving back from Springfield, Missouri. We were coming back from my daughter's and we were driving down Interstate 44 and it turned to Interstate 70. And Somehow, somehow, I still don't know how, my wife must have been talking to me because I always listened intently to her. <laughs> I'm driving down the road and the next thing you know I'm like, "Hey, we're in Springfield, Illinois, and we wanted to go the other, we wanted to go to Terre Haute. We wound up in Springfield. What happened was somehow we went north instead of continuing on west, and we were just cruising. We were making good time. <laughs> go in the wrong direction. Because sometimes you can be lost and not feel lost. And it isn't until that moment when you realize that you're lost that you recognize you're lost because sometimes we don't know we're lost when we're lost because we think we're going the right direction. There are three parables in Luke chapter 15 in response to welcoming sinners. I want to set it up, Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through 3. Now, the tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors, by the way. I don't have time to get into all of the details here, but tax collectors were people that basically sold out their own community, their own people. They were Jews that were collecting taxes for the Romans and they were hated. So tax collectors were whatever your political party is, they were the other side to the extreme. All right? Tax collectors and sinners. What are sinners? Those are the people that are the most notorious bad people. They probably have tattoos on their face. They're so bad. They're they're the worst of the worst of the worst. They probably have teardrops from the people they've killed. I don't know. Whatever it is, they're the worst, okay? These are the worst of the worst. These are red light district people and all that kind of stuff. Now, tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus because there's something about Jesus that attracts everybody. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law, what were they doing? I love this word. They they what? Muttered. Muttered. Anybody ever mutter? Do you know what mutter is? (laughs) Did anybody remember Muggsy? Anybody from my childhood know Muggsy? If you don't, I'm sorry. You're too young to know the little dog that all he ever did was mumble. Right? I know people like that. I, I do that sometimes. Sometimes when I'm washing clothes or I'm walking around, and I don't want anybody to hear what I'm saying, but I'm grumbling it anyway. Anybody ever do that? You grumble it, you you walk away, you walk out of your boss's office. I can't believe this. Right? All right, all that say, the Pharisees and the teacher's of law were muttering. What were they muttering? This man welcomes those stinking sinners and he eats with them. So Jesus told him a parable. So you need to understand, that's the setup of the entire sermon today. There's one key, though, to getting today. There's a key. I recently had a guy fight with me on Facebook he was wrong. No, no, no. He was wrong. He was wrong, wrong, wrong. And he started fighting with me. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to fight with you. So I invited him to lunch because I believe a relationship is more important than being right or wrong. So I went to lunch with a guy and I tried to have a relationship with him and we're sitting there talking and, um, and this whole concept of what our fight was about came up again. So I told him an illustration. And I told him an illustration that was ironclad. Locked him down. He was locked down. The illustration was perfect. It was for his world. It was everything. I'm not going to tell you because then you might know about the fight I got into. But I had him nailed. I had him locked up. He had no way out. And do you know what he did? He refused to even listen to my illustration. He just went his own way, and he started making excuses. And I knew at that moment, I would never have a real relationship with this person. Because when presented with truth, he flat out refused to listen. When he had an illustration that caused him, he had, he had to deal with it, and he wouldn't. The only people that God can't save are people who won't listen when he tugs at your heart. So, these parables are meant for you, but if you don't want to listen, I can't do anything for you, okay? Luke chapter 19, would you stand to your feet and honor God's word? This is our verse for today, uh, because we have an entire chapter around this mission statement this is jesus mission statement when he came to the earth y'all want to read it with me it's his mission statement i believe we can do this right for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost what did the son of man come to do most of you got it all right jesus i pray that you would open our hearts today and show us how lost we are so that we can come to you and be your friend. Thanks. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, but before you are, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. I forgot. You've got to give somebody a high five and give them a smile and let them know you like them and that it's a good day to see them online. There you go. All right, y'all ready? Three parables in Luke 15 that confirm the value of the lost. The first one is the parable of the lost sheep. Why was the sheep lost? Because he was bad. (laughs) The first parable is about a person's livelihood. So you get a shepherd. A shepherd has 100 sheep. One of them goes astray, gets lost. And the business owner leaves behind 99% to go after 1%. That, by the way, is not good business strategy. But God's never been in business strategy. He has always been in loving strategy. So here we go. Luke chapter 15, verse 4. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country? That's risky. And go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, go home, and he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. So he had a lost sheep, and he found it, and he's now rejoicing. But sheep are dumb. You know what I know about lost sheep? They're lost because they're dumb. And you know what? Some of you are incredibly dumb. That's why God calls you his sheep. I actually have a picture of you. I have a video of you and how it looks when God rescues you from your stupidity and rescue you from your sin. I actually have a video, would y'all like to watch it? All right. You didn't know, you didn't know we had a video of you, did you? That's you, I mean, that's me, right? And, and what happens is we're lost sheep, and those of us that are prone to get lost, what happens? We, as soon as we're lost, we go get rescued, and then we go back to our lostness, and that's just who we are. But I want you to see what happens when you are rescued. What happens when God rescues you from your own sin and stupidity? What does it say? Luke 15, 7, I tell you in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who are up there in the open country who don't need to repent. There's more rejoicing over one than there is over 99. All right. Second, we have the parable of lost coin. Parable of lost coin is about making ends meet. So the word for the silver coin used in this passage is drachma, which is funny, it's only used here in the New Testament to speak of a coin. Um, it was actually a Hebrew coin instead of uh, the denaria, which is the Greek coin. So drachma is only used here in the New Testament in this story. It's worth about the equivalent of a day's pay. It's about the equivalent of a denarius. So let's read it. Uh, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins or 10 drachma, 10 days pay. And she loses a day's pay. What does she do? She lights a lamp, sweeps the house, searches carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. So $100, give or take, probably more like about 150 in today's currency, but about 100 to $150. And, you know, I, I thought I'd bring up $100 here to show you what $100 looks like. Well, I thought it was that in pocket. Well, it's not in that pocket. I I had $100 this morning. I got a problem. What? Oh, no. I better search for it. What, What do you do if you have $100 and you lose it? Do you just say, oh, it's $100? I forgot. I put it in my back pocket. I found it. $100 now would anybody like if you lost $100 would you just sort of excuse it? He's won She's won the hundred dollars. You want it tough. It's mine Now why why do I say that because it's simple hundred dollars you would search for it, right? All right, so what does this woman do? She loses ten coins ten days paid She has ten she loses one And she got the nine kept safe, but she searches for the others. Because that's, by the way, that's a lot of money. Uh, This woman who loses it might have been a widow. And if so, um, that would probably be the equivalent of about a month's pay that she had. Wow. That's a lot. When she finds it, though, what does she do again? Come on, what does she do when she finds it? Well, it says Luke 15.10, in the same way I tell you, there's more rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So one sinner, one who's lost that gets found, there's that kind of rejoicing of if you find the $100 that you lose or $150 you lose. All right. All right, tell you a story because it's VBS week and I'm, I'm over the moon to tell you this. There are just so many here today, and my brain is just on fire. I'm sorry. Uh, I've heard heard that VBS is going to be a blast. (laughs) And I've heard it's out of this world. Anyway, uh, we're doing VBS. Why do we do VBS? Why do we as a church even exist? It's a really great question, right? So a couple years ago, um, we... We had somebody here that on Tuesday of VBS sent me a note that he was leaving the church and with him he took about 50 people. So 15 to 20% of our church disappeared in one moment. Almost all of our worship team disappeared in one moment. A deacon disappeared in one moment. It was not a good moment right it was not a good moment I was upset so you know what I did this is Tuesday night of VBS I call in our deacons and I said I just got this message from this deacon who took all of our worship team and a tenth of our church at least maybe 20 percent of our church gone And Doug Thompson was in the meeting, and I will thank Doug Thompson for this for the rest of my life. It was VBS night, and he said to me, at the end, you know, we discussed what was going on. He said, you know, Pastor, he said, I'll be thinking about you and praying for you. But he said, you know, tonight for VBS, we brought a little girl with us. And the little girl told us last night, because Linda was making her dinner and feeding her real food and then bringing her to VBS, And uh, the little girl told us, she said, you know, sometimes I get to eat dinner, my mom will let me have cereal. And he said, I I love you, Pastor, but I think most of my thoughts and prayers are going to go for that little girl instead of for you. We got a call from Children's Services this week. There are going to be kids in this room this week that you would not want their home life for anything. And we get an opportunity to show the love of Christ and to raise up. We want, of course, the lost to be found, but we want the the saved kids to be discipled. We want them to experience God in this space because we do not exist as a church simply so you and I can come here and be placated in our Christianity on Sunday. We exist because there are kids. There are young men and women in this culture that they need somebody to love them and maybe even feed them and maybe give them a ride to church. There may be kids this week that the only, opportunity they'll have for somebody to actually love them without trying to take anything from them will be in this space. That's why we're here. We're not here to take, we're here to give. Everything. And you know what? If you got a problem with me telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's time you quit being selfish and start giving. If you've got a problem with that, you don't have a problem with me. You've got a problem with God. Deal with him about it. We need to be a people that share the love and redemption and mercy and acceptance and grace of God with every person who is lost and especially with those little kiddos. Because our call is to raise up a Daniel generation that the little ones like Aiden will grow up to be men of God in a world that wants to destroy them. This is going to be a place where that happens. Y'all got me? Do you wonder why we exist? We don't exist so you can feel comfortable on Sunday. We exist so we can make an impact for generations to come. That's why we're here. And that's what drives me when I wake up in the morning. Is I want young men and young ladies to grow up to be men and women of God who share the good news of Jesus with every lost person they meet. That's who we are. That's what we're here to do. All right. Number three. Lost sons. And thank you, Doug Thompson, for reminding me. It's not about how many butts are in the seat, but how many we get to minister to. Right? Aren't you glad we got leaders in the church like that? Yeah. We can say thank you. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, leaders like that. All right, lost sons. It's not lost son. It's lost sons. It's lost sons. We're not dealing with lost son here. We're dealing with lost sons. I think you'll understand as we unpack the story. The first one is the reckless son. Let's talk about him. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. How many sons did he have? Two. Two. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now that's a jerk move. Come on, dad's not dad. You know what he's saying to his dad? I wish you were dead. He is double flying at both dad I'm done with you give me my share of what you have actually um, so he divided his property between them the word property there in the greek is both. it's what he had to live on so his dad took his business and he divided it into three parts the younger son got one part the older son got two parts so he took a third of his wealth a third of his business sold it liquidated it gave it to his youngest son While he was still alive. What does dad now have to live on? What belongs to his other son. Wow. That's a pretty, honestly, that's a pretty screw you move, right? That's pretty jerky, right? Okay. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, all his money, and he set off for a distant country. And there he did what? Squandered. His wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the country. So what did he do to a third of his dad's wealth? What did he do? He blew it, squandered it. It's all gone. After he would spent everything, there was severe famine in the whole country. He began to be in need. Duh, because he doesn't know how to work. All he knows how to do is party. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country. When he did go to work, where did he go? He went to his fields to feed pigs. Now, this is a Jewish boy feeding pigs. That's the lowest of low, because pigs are abhorrent. That's why I'm glad God did not ask me to obey the rules of Jews, because I love me some bacon. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's right. He went out and hired himself to a citizen of that country. He sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And then he came to his senses. Wow, what an amazing statement. Came to his senses and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But notice what he's going to do. He's going to demand his dad make him one of his hired servants. He still has no respect for his dad. He's demanding you got to do this. Make me one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off. While he was still what? Long way off. His father saw him. His father saw him while he was long. Why do you think father saw him while he was a long way off? Because he's looking for him. He kept his eye open because those who have kids... That aren't walking the right path, you always got your heart and your eyes open for them to come home. So he went and hired him. uh, Where am I at? Where am I at? Uh, He, yep. He saw, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion for him, and he did, ran to his son. We'll talk about that in a second. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son period something changed what changed we'll talk about that but the father said to his servants quick bring me the best robe put it on and bring a ring on his finger sandals on his feet bring the fattened calf and kill it let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead he's alive again he was lost but he was found and they began to celebrate just really quickly the son was incredibly selfish and unloving He was only thinking about himself. He disrespected his father. Give me what you owe me. I wish you were dead. Notice his attitude. His attitude is somebody owes me all the time. If you've got an attitude that says people owe you something then you will never, ever, ever become the person you need to be as long as you're looking for somebody else to give you something because they owe you something. Get rid of the stinking chip on your shoulder, accept that you probably made the decisions that put you where you are, and then and only then will you be able to repent enough to see straight and clear to have the kind of life you really want because as long as you're expecting somebody to give it to you, you'll never earn it, and if you won't earn it, you don't deserve it and you won't keep it when you get it. There was no gratitude in his heart for his father's provision, care, and only anger. He was in rebellion against his father's authority. And, and what do I know about rebellion? This, I want to do my own thing regardless of what God and regardless of what authority says. Uh, 1 Samuel twenty or 15, 23 says, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, or it is the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is bad as worshiping idols. So just know that the rebellion that's in your heart, come on, I have a little bit of, all right, I got a lot of rebellion in my heart. Anybody else have a lot of rebellion in your heart? You tell me what to do. You tell me don't touch the grass. We were were walking one day and said, don't touch the grass. What do I have to do if you tell me? They didn't say, please stay off the grass. They said, don't touch the grass. So what am I gonna do? I'm gonna walk over and go, bad, take that. Because there's rebellion in my heart. And that rebellion, that rebellion that's in our heart, that's that's as witchcraft because what we're doing is there was one rebel one time in heaven and he rebelled once and he's been kicked out and he's got a lake of eternal fire waiting for him and I don't want to join him. It's the teen saying, just wait until I'm 18. I had one say that to me once and none of them ever said that to me ever again. Because do you know what I said? We're not waiting until you're 18. I'm going to your room right now. I'm getting everything you bought and paid for yourself, which is very little. And then your butt's out of here. I'm not waiting until you're 18. If you got that attitude, you can just go right now. And you know what happened? I never heard, wait until I'm 18 again. They might have thought it, but they didn't have the guts to say it. <laughs> So what happened is lack of respect and discipline meant that the money was short-lived. He squandered everything in wild living. And he wound up working for a Gentile feeding pigs as low as it gets. Because if you hang out in toilets, don't be surprised if you get covered in poop. You start hanging out in bars, what are you going to get covered with? Come on sin will take you farther than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay and he wanted to eat pig food now come on I'm from Oklahoma I had some cousins they raised pigs for their 4-H and I know I used to spend a couple of weeks with them in the summer we would go down there and we would slop the hogs have you ever slopped a hog anybody ever slopped a hog wave at me then how low would you have to go to want to eat that garbage Because a pig will literally eat everything. Everything. You want to dispose of a dead body? Feed them to the pigs. The only thing they won't eat are the teeth. Everything. Everything they will eat. doesn't matter how nasty, stinky, gross, or disgusting. And this guy, who was once the son of a rich landowner, is now wanting to eat pig slop. You think sin's fun? Wait until it takes you where it's going to take you. Because that rebellious life is not going to take you. You're not going to be cool on the cover of a magazine. But I want to show you what the Father did. He showed mercy. First of all, he showed mercy because he didn't kill him. Do you know in those days the Bible had this verse in Deuteronomy chapter 21 that says if you've got a rebellious teenager, just stone him. Just take them out and kill them. And I'm not talking recreational stoning. Like we were walking at the park last night. Is there anybody? Is there anybody that doesn't get high anymore? My goodness, I'm getting secondhand high walking outside last night in the park. Could we? Th- and we wonder why our world is being overtaken and everybody doesn't want to work. Anyway, nobody is better for smoking pot. Nobody is better for smoking pot. Just trust me on that. Well, maybe if you have glaucoma, seriously. All right. The father showed compassion. He had mercy. didn't kill him. He showed compassion. While he was a long way off, he was still looking for him. The father showed humility. How would the father show humility? Because he ran. You know one thing dignified men did not do? They didn't run. Do you know why they didn't run? Because men in those days wore, like, what do they call those? Get, not gowns. No, tunics. Whatever they were. Whatever you call them, robes, there you go. And they were, they were longer because they would come down to like here. So for a guy to run, you don't run in a robe because if you, anybody ever tried to run a skirt, it just doesn't work, yeah? You know? Yeah? So what do you do? Don't tell me how I know. Anyway, all right, so what did he do? This is what they would do. They would reach down, and when you read, gird up your loins for battle and things like that in the Bible, this is what they're talking about. The guy would reach down, grab the back part of the robe, and he would pull it up like this, like it's a big diaper, and tuck it in his belt. So the dad is wearing a big diaper, running out across the fields to see his kid with a big diaper on. That's sort of humiliating, isn't it? But how much did the dad love his son? that he was willing to humiliate himself that his son would know he was loved. That sort of reminds me of what Jesus did. Didn't Jesus die naked on a cross, scorned and mocked by everyone so you would know how much he loves you? All right, then what happened? His father showed love. He got to him. He threw his arms around him. He gave him a hug and a kiss. He brought him in. And what did he do? He he kissed him as a sign of acceptance and reconciliation. He blessed him with a richly ornamented robe as a gift. And he restored him, gave him a ring, which was a signet of authority. This dad is doing everything in his power. When he sees his son from a distance, he does everything in his power to accept him back because the dad loves the son the son is overcome with the father's love. Do you know how I know? know Yeah, I know he changes his request. You heard what he was going to request. I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me one of your slaves. Instead, what did he do? His first shine of humility is in verse 21, where he said, I'm just no longer worthy to be your son. And he stops right there. There's no demands. There's no questions. There's no more demanding because the love of the father overpowered the selfishness of the Son. Romans 2, 4 says, Or do you show consent, contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? You know, God is much more kind to you than you deserve. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus went to a cross. He was put through shame, humiliation, beating, torture, and death show you he loves you and first John 1 3 see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God God lavishes his love on you what does this look like well we had a shelf in our house uh, back behind the table and it had precious moments on it do y'all remember precious moments do all remember those my wife had collected them because it was the 80s and that's what you did <laughs> And she had collected precious moments from birthdays and our wedding and precious moments from the birth of our children. And every one of them had a precious moment. We had a shelf on our wall that had all of those precious moments commemorating all the precious moments in our life. One day, my daughter stands up on her chair, which she wasn't allowed to do, reached up and put both hands on the shelf. And what do you think she did? Yank, and down goes every precious moment on the ground, every one of them broken. Literally, what would be worth maybe thousands and thousands of dollars now nothing but a broken bunch of clay on the floor. And my wife consoled my daughter. She went over to her and said, it's all right. I wonder how much my wife loves our kids that when my kids destroyed something we found precious, her first thought was about them. And when you destroyed your precious life, God's first thought It's about you. Because he loves you. The responsible son. Let's talk about him real quick. Luke 15, 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. By the way, this is the whole point of the whole story. All three stories are set up for this. Because remember, sinners were coming to be saved, and the Pharisees were mumbling. All right? Luke 15, 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and he came near the house, and he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Well, your brother's come home, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's come back safe and sound. The older brother, he said, oh, this is great. I'm glad dad loves. Is that what he said? No, he became angry, and he refused to go in. By the way, as refusing to go in, that was an act of screw you, dad, as well because I don't know if you know this or not, in that culture, the son's job was to serve the guests. And by staying outside, he was protesting his dad's love. So when he answered his father, uh, the father went out, What did the father do. He pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been, notice his words, slaving. And I never even disobeyed you. I've never disobeyed you, dad, liar. <clears throat> You never gave me even a young goat. You hadn't done anything for me. Sounds like the same attitude the younger son had, doesn't it? You, you're to blame. You didn't give me anything. I'm slaving for you. I don't disobey you. And you don't treat me right. But this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. Listen to the dad. My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But I had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again and he was lost and now he's found. The older son was just as much a rebel as ungrateful as the younger son. He said, he became angry and refused to go in. He called himself a slave, said he never disobeyed. You never gave me anything. And this whole parable, this whole parable is really to the Pharisees to say to them, listen, these sinners, these people who are a long way from God, That are coming back and being redeemed. I love them and I'm gonna accept them. But you're an older son. You're rejecting the love of the Father just as much as they are because you won't celebrate with what he values. Notice in this parable, there's no response from the elder son. You know why? Because it's left open for us to decide what we're gonna respond. So you think you're so holy? Some of you are the older son. You sit in here and you think you're so holy because you obey a few godly rules. You slave for God because you work in the church and serve all the time. You sacrifice because you give your money. Some of you might even tithe. And all the while, you feel like God owes you something. All the while, you're secretly jealous of the younger brother because he gets to party and have some fun and all you do is obey the rules. You're just as long-faced, miserable, and feigning obedience as the rules. to these rules as if you were a slave. You're missing so much. God doesn't save you so you can obey the rules. He saves you because he wants to be your friend. And he wants to have life with you. That's the reason our culture is so resistant to our message. It's because older brothers have been running the show. And we want to gripe and complain and protest and write things on Facebook and prove that sinners are wrong. Hey, guys, newsflash. Sinners are destroying themselves. And they don't need our judgment, they need our compassion. There's no party. I don't want to be a Christian if there's no party. Dang it, God saved me so I could party. And I want to party the right way. The kind of way I wake up in the morning happy about. The kind of party that's going to last for literally eternity. I get to party. And if you don't want to party, then you're probably not a follower of Jesus. You're a follower of rules, not of Jesus, because Jesus made you a party. So will you remain hard-hearted, or will you join the party?" Maria grew up in a small town in northern Brazil. As a young girl, her olive skin and dark brown eyes attracted the attention of boys in the area. Yet, there was a part of her that longed for the city life with a glitz and glamour. So as she matured into her early teens, she demanded she be allowed to go into the city. Maria's mother, Anna, knew what awaited a young girl like her in the city. And she did all that was in her power to dissuade her. The time came that Maria would no longer be hindered by her mother's watchful eye, so one night she packed all of her belongings and headed to Sao Paulo, Brazil to make her mark. The next morning, when Ana woke up and discovered her daughter had left, she immediately packed her bags to go looking for her daughter. But before she left, she took her life savings and went to a local photo booth and spent all the money she could afford on pictures of herself. And upon the back of every single one of them, she wrote a note to her daughter. Arriving in San Paulo, Anna visited every seedy night spot, every hangout for prostitutes, every drug house, and at each one, she'd staple her picture to the wall, the picture of mom's face to the wall. Soon Anna the little girl was out of, or Anna was out of money, so she had to return to the small town, continue working. A few months later, a weary Maria, aged greatly by a life now of debauchery and destitution and prostitution, descended the stairs of a brothel to see a familiar face nailed to a nearby door. Slowly, Maria approached the picture of her mother, grasped it, held it to her heart. It was then that she noticed a note on the back that said, Maria, I don't care what you've done or what you've become. I love you and I want you home. You will be loved and accepted if you return. So tearfully, Maria returned home to her mom to be restored to life. And that story I read in a a magazine about a little girl whose life was set free and delivered and whose life is now lived for the glory of God because a mom loved in such a way that was prodigal. You think prodigal is about the prodigal son. Actually, this story is prodigal father because prodigal, prodigious means to be wasteful, to be lavish, extreme, And this story, these stories are about one thing, the fact that God loves you lavishly and extremely. He loves you to the point of his own death. He loves you to the point of his own embarrassment. He will go out of his way to love you and see you return. And if you're in this room today and you're living the prodigal life, you're living the life of the younger son, I want to invite you to repent and to make Jesus the Lord of your life right now. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me. It's time for you to return. Let's just lose the attitude against God. God loves you. God's got a better life for you than you can imagine. And today is your day to step into that new, better life he offers you. Quit fighting him. Quit rebelling. Quit thinking you're going to do it your way and it's going to work out because it isn't working out and you know it and I know it and God knows it. So if you're in this room today, and today is your day to give your life to Jesus Christ, to quit your running, and to come home to him and to be his child, if that's you, I want you to lift your hand right now. I want to pray with you in this room. That's you, right now. Come on. Yes. There are others? Yes. Come on. You know, God's talking to a couple of you. I saw it on your faces. Come on, it's time. Quit making excuses. Get out of the pig slop. Come home. Nobody prays alone at Harvest Ridge. We all pray together. So let's do this together. Everybody together. You ready? Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I step away from the slop and I return to you. Thank you for your love. I now receive it. Thanks for making me your child. Amen. And if you prayed that new minute. Welcome home. Welcome home. I got one more message for you, all right? Some of you are the older brother. You've been doing everything right and you're angry about it. You're frustrated at God. You get mad at all the time at God that he doesn't do what you tell him to do. And you're mad at God and you're frustrated and you see people get saved and you hear how the church is always caring for the lost and you're like, yeah, all right, all right. We gotta care about kids. Why don't we do what I want in worship instead of what's good for the next generation? That's your attitude. You hear a song like The Reckless Love, that song Reckless Love, you hear that song and you know what you do? You're like, God's love's not reckless. If you ever say that in your heart, I want to tell you you're probably an older son. You're just being a jerk. And you're being a jerk because you're not accepting the freedom God has for you either. You're just as lost as a lost son, except you're lost in the church. You're lost in this place doing all the right things, but you're just as lost as they are. I got an invitation to you this morning. This is the invitation to you. Because you already know and said the prayer and you're already saved and all that stuff. Everything God has is already yours. But you know what you need to do? You need to party. You just need to loosen up, lighten up, and have some fun. That's why we do VBS. Come on, this is gonna be fun, right? That's why we do Harvest Flooza. Our message to Harvest Flu through Harvest Flooza to the world is we wanna have fun. It's the reason we do trunk or treat. That's a reason that Reason we do baptism at the lake so we can have a party. June twenty fifth, you're not baptized, we're baptizing people at the lake. Come on. All right. Half of you are with me, the other half you're looking at me like, why is he saying this? Because you're a stodge. Stop it. Stop it. Just just lose the stodge, okay? I don't care what reason you got for being grumpy. God hasn't come through. Well, change your attitude. You might be surprised how much God had come through, right? Come on. Could we do ourselves a favor today? Could we end this service by acting like our salvation is worth the party? Would you all stand to your feet? Oh, if you want somebody to pray for you, or you gave your heart to Christ, we got prayer team members up here. They're here to pray with you. But right now, let's just act like Harvest Ridge is a party.